All right, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and uh, I get to share the word with you this morning. You know, I was thinking while we were singing those songs, um, maybe you're the type of person that you, you come in a little late, so you skip the music and just hear the sermon because you're like, I just need to feed my mind. Or maybe you're one of those that you love the singing, but then when the person gets up, you're like, good night, right? right? <laughs> Let me encourage you to be both. You know, when we're singing, I mean, there's a heart of worship, and sometimes we repeat things like hallelujah. There's a heart connecting to God in that, which is awesome. And then the time where we open up God's word is a lot of times where God speaks to us and says, hey, I need to encourage you, right? Or, or I need to correct you, whatever it is. So we kind of need them both. So I, I wanted to just encourage you, if you're one of the sermon type people, try the music thing. Like, try singing, even if you're not very good, do it anyway. Try lifting your hands. If you feel like, like hallelujah is a way to say praise you, God, just, just try it. Um, and if you're falling asleep now, I'll try and make it entertaining so you don't fall asleep. And again, open up our hearts during this time. What does God want to say? And it might be encouragement, right? It's not always changing the way you think. It might be a reminder or something you need. Uh, let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for music and for musicians. Uh, I wish you made me one, but, but you've gifted us all differently, and it's, it's such a joy. Um, God, we love you. Uh, in this time, do sp speak to us. If it's encouragement we need, if it's correction, uh, whatever we need to hear right now, uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us. In your name, amen. So Callie and I have this older show that we kind of like, uh, and in the Halloween episode, uh, the... The dad, so it's a mom and a dad, and there's the kid, and you see the kid growing up through the years. But Halloween, he's, all, you know, he's like four years old, and he's walking with mom, going trick-or-treating, and this scary guy jumps out from behind a tree, right, with a pig mask on, and the kid freaks out and runs home and jumps on the couch with dad and curls up and squeezes dad close, and of course, dad, you know, like that. And then they show, and like the next year, and he does it until the kid's like 20 years old, and, and the 20-year-old you know, kid still runs home and, and cuddles up with dad. Well, you find out that the guy in the pig mask is actually his dad who sneaks out, and he scares him, and then he beats him home, runs, and he gets there, you know, and he's waiting for him to come in. Um, and, of course, the son figures it out, and he's mad at him, and he's like, why? Why do you have to torture him? He's like, because you don't give good hugs otherwise, right? He's like, you hit four years old, and now your, your hugs are like these, like, but when you're scared, you hold me, and you squeeze me tight. And I'm like, I can totally relate. I remember watching it with Callie. I'm like, yeah, right? Because we have four kids, and they used to hug. I, I mean, they still hug some, but they used, like, I could hold Elise, and she'd like to have her hands around my neck. That was awesome. Kayla loved to snuggle. Like, yeah, you did. Um, and even up to somewhat recent, like, they loved to snuggle. Even Brendan, who's now almost 25, and Lydia, you know, they like to be Close, and, and as dad, I still try, right? Like uh, walking into school, I'll try and hold their hands, and of course, they're like doing the dodge thing, you know? Or Lydia, who's now at college, but for the past few years, you know, I give her a hug goodnight, and then I try and give her a kiss, and you know, like, um, she's like, no kisses, and if I get one, that's when she starts swinging. So, so it's, I mean, I miss it, because she's at college now, but it would be one of those, oh, goodnight, I love you, no kisses, okay. You're right, and dodge, and then run. Because there's something about, you know, dad, like, I want to hold him close, and, and kids grow up, and it's, it's good. I mean, sometimes, you know, they're too cool, whatever, but there is a part of distancing yourself as you grow from, from mom and dad, which is good. But why is it sometimes we do the same things with our heavenly father? 
right? That we, we distance ourselves. Maybe when times are, are tough or we have a question, whatever it is, and we feel like, no, I need, to, I need to be independent and handle this on my own, right? I mean, how silly is that? Like, I'm not gonna go to the God of the universe to give me any input on this or, or any comfort. I can handle this by myself. What is it that, that makes us do that? Well, today we're gonna be in Hebrews. And in Hebrews, uh, we're gonna be in chapter four, so go ahead and turn there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, uh, and it's page number something. I didn't write it down. I wrote down page number. 1104. Thank you, George. 1104, 1104. Uh, the reason we do that is Hebrews is hard to find. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's totally okay. We want you here, but page 1104. And we're going to see uh, another idea today that kind of goes in line with that of, of where do we run? right? Where do we run when, when life is happening? And, and the book of Hebrews is largely about uh, Christians. It's two Christians who had left the Jewish religion, right? Because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Jesus completed the Jewish covenants, all of those. So it runs to him, but they're tempted to, to run away. Like this is, this is harder. Uh, by the way, if anybody told you coming to Christ is going to make your life easy, they were lying. The truth is, you come to Christ, and he starts to change you and do some things, and the world is going to come against you. And so often, really, serving Christ in this life is, is harder, and that's what they were experiencing. And so they were tempted to abandon the faith, to go back to what they knew. Don't worry, everybody. We don't believe that anymore. Oh, good. We welcome you back. We can be the same way, right, with our family, with our friends, whatever it is at work. We start feeling the pressure, and oh, God wants me to do some things different. I don't want to do that. We're tempted to walk away. That's the context, really, for the whole book of Hebrews. And last week, uh, we looked at this, this wonderful idea of rest. Uh, ben, in the announcements, talked about the abundant life. Uh, that abundant life is one found in Christ as we abide in him. But we can also call that, right, it's abiding, this abundant life, a place of rest despite circumstances. And last week was all about that, right? We looked in chapter three, all about this idea that we can experience peace even when the world is in turmoil because Jesus is the one we can go to. And so as, again, Hebrews, kind of the theme is Jesus is better. Jesus is more. Jesus is greater than whatever it is. So today, we're gonna get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And if there's one thing all of us need, it's a good vision, a good view of Jesus as he truly is. And so we're going to get that today. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Those are our primary verses today. So it's interesting in the book of Hebrews, whoever wrote it, we're not sure who it is, he's writing along and then he'll kind of go on a tangent. Be like, ooh, here's a good idea. It's all in context, but then he'll come back. So chapter two, he started this idea of high priest and then he went on this awesome tangent, and now he's kind of back as if we won't notice, right? He's just back into this high priest idea. So there's a link there from the end of chapter two here to chapter four. But here's our, our, our big idea that he's gonna be unpacking. Jesus is our high priest. 
Jesus is our high priest. Now, you might be confused by that. Because again, for us, priest, we think typically a Catholic priest. Um, what is this idea of, of priest? And so to understand this idea of Jesus as our high priest, we're going to read further on in chapter 5, where the writer helps us understand the Old Testament. So Hebrews is the best New Testament book referring to the Old Testament. It's almost a commentary on the Old Testament. And so that's what we're going to get now in chapter 5, 1 through 10. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to talk about that whole Melchizedek stuff in a few weeks. So we can kind of put that aside if you're like, who's that guy? That's fun stuff. We're going to get there. But for now, we're going to look at this idea, this high priest. This was a Jewish figure, part of their religion, designated by God. So when God called Israel out of Egypt, and we looked at that story some last week because they were an example of how not to do it. Um, when they got to the promised land, they're like, nah, we're not going to have faith. We're not going to trust. We're not going to obey. Then they had to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Well, in that time, right, Moses was, was the prophet of God. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to the people. Moses' brother Aaron was designated the high priest. So a prophet is someone who speaks to the people from God. A priest is a person who approaches God on behalf of the people. Aaron was the first one designated, again, by God. So this is in your notes. The role of a high priest is to approach God on behalf of people in order to cover over sins. So they had other roles, but specifically here, that's the main one that he's talking about. This high priest would go into what was called the Holy of Holies when the temple was finished. Uh, it was, there was a curtain, right? A thick curtain, probably six inches thick, that, that marked off this area. Only the high priest could go into that area, and they only went in once a year. They went in to offer sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. Now, a high priest, because he was human had sin in themselves. So they would have to offer sacrifice for themselves and then on behalf of the people. It, it's interesting, they, uh, they would tie, a, the story goes, they would tie a rope to the high priest's ankle because if he was too sinful to go into God's presence, he would just fall dead and then they could drag his body out um, without going in to get him. But that's the idea of, of the Holy of Holies. Again, they only went in once a year. That's the high priest who could approach God on behalf of people to cover over sins. And so again, here, we're talking about Jesus, and God chose Jesus to be our eternal high priest who is the only mediator between us and the Father. This is a big point of, of the whole idea of high priest, 
right? God appointed Jesus as the only mediator between us and the Father, the last one. So at the beginning of Hebrews, God says, in previous days, God spoke to you through prophets and other ways. In these last days, he's spoken to you through his son. Meaning there are no more prophets in the way that Jesus was or Moses was. or Je No more like that, right? Jesus is the last one. Same idea here. Jesus is the last high priest. Meaning Jesus is the only one between us and the father. We get to the father through the son. No human can ever tell you to get to God, you go through me. Boom, that's automatically wrong. That's why we don't have priests. That's why the idea of the Pope is actually pretty offensive to Scripture, right? Nobody can change what God has said. Or, or the idea of, of these cults or other religions that have a prophet, oh, I have a new word from God. Because culture's changing, we can change too. He just told me. No, <laughs> Jesus is the final word, and he is the final high priest. This is really good news for you. You don't need anybody else. You have direct access to the Father, through the Son. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be part of a church. That's going to come later in Hebrews. We need to be doing this. We need to worship together. We need accountability. We need to teach one another, all those things. So we need to be here, but nobody is the, the flow through, right? Um, pastors love to think they are because it feeds their ego, but you don't, okay, unfortunately. Here's the other idea, though. The last high priest, Jesus is the only way. So again, he's the, the last way, but he's the only way. So if you're new to this whole Christian thing and, and you're gonna try it out, like maybe this will work for you, here's the big idea with this. There is only one way to salvation. Acts 4.12 says it this way. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way, right? This is harsh in today's culture. Muslims, they are not going to heaven. They, they do not have faith in the one true God through the Son, right? And I could list every other religion out there. Jesus is the only way. That's a big deal. He's the only way to the Father. Now, here we're looking at this idea, again, of Jesus as the high priest. And it's talking about the high priest in, in order with salvation, right? Jesus offered sacrifice himself at forgiveness for sin. And this idea of salvation has three, three aspects to it. And if you've been here, you're sick of hearing it, so I'm going to keep saying it. But salvation, again, we, we often think salvation is eternal in heaven someday. Yes, salvation is three parts. One, past, right? I have been saved. That's called justification, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins. And when you say, I believe, and I confess Jesus as Lord, boom, you are justified, made right. The next one is sanctification, meaning just because you're made right, you're not perfect yet, right? I mean, raise your hand if you're perfect. Now you're a liar, <laughs> so you're not. Nobody's perfect. And so we're this, this sanctification process by which we become more and more like Christ. That's, and that's basically, that's all of this life, sanctification, where we wrestle, right? Or the, the, the street fight. I like to call it the street fight of sanctification. We're fighting with sin and temptation and all this stuff. Until later when Christ returns, we will be glorified. That's future salvation. I will be saved fully. Sin will be removed. I will get a new body. We will all have new bodies living physically on a new heaven, new earth. It's going to be super sweet, but that's future. And so the idea here is it's kind of this already and not yet. We're already saved. We're not yet perfect, we're already at peace, at rest, but we're not fully yet until we're with Christ forever. 
That's the context, and specifically the context here that we need to understand is with suffering, is with suffering, because Jesus suffered greatly. And what we see here in uh, uh, 5, 7 through 9, let's look at those again. It says, in the days of his flesh, that's Jesus on this earth in a human body, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, which is what a high priest does, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Okay, there's some rough stuff. Jesus, God in flesh, learned obedience, right? It's kind of hard, but it's not something he didn't know, but he went through suffering, right? He was obedient through suffering and he was perfected. Elsewhere it says he was made perfect. Well, he was always perfect, but he completed perfectly what God sent him to do. So here, these prayers are specific. Although a high priest offers prayers on behalf of the people, here Jesus, this is one thing in context, he's praying to God before he goes to the cross. And it says he's praying to him who was able to save him from death. Did God save him from death? Yes. He rose him from the dead. So Jesus had to go through death, take on the sin of the world, but God rescued him from death. God answered this prayer and rescued him from death, rose him from the dead. Victorious, awesome. But Jesus still had to go through the cross. He had to go through sin. And Jesus, at, at one point before he went, was asking God that there would be another way. It'll be on the screen. Luke 22, 42 to 44. This is the night before he's arrested. Jesus is praying. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is Jesus, knowing he was going to the cross, knowing he was going to take on the sins of the world, he is in agony. And what does he pray? Again, this is God in flesh. He says, is there another way? How did the Father answer that? No. If there was another way, Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. He said, there is no other way. So who are we to say there's another way? The Father told the Son this is the only way. So when we go, oh, Jesus is one way among many, we're disagreeing with the Father. Bad thing to do, right? When God speaks, he's right. But here he's asking for another way. And he says, there's no other way. And so Jesus knew this, this idea of, of agony, of pain, and he went through it. So back to 14. So, so here's kind of that context, right? Jesus suffering, um, Jesus, our high priest. Now we come back to the, kind of the main point, 14 through 16. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, meaning he is with God glorified right now. Uh, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you ever have doubts? Do you ever have struggles? Do you ever have relational issues? I mean, we can go down the list. Whatever it is, Jesus gets it. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago when we were looking at Jesus as the high priest beginning. Jesus gets it and he gets you. Jesus has been there, right? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. He's been there. 
He was human. He went through everything like we have gone through. You want to be quiet about your face so no one looks down on you? Jesus dealt with that, (laughs) right? The Jews came against him. The Romans came against him. Even his own closest friends came against him. His family came against him at times. Jesus knows what it's like. Listen, if we are going to follow Christ boldly in this life, we will suffer for it. Uh, Example just from the last couple weeks, we have a new speaker of the house. Again, I'm not getting into politics, but this new speaker is an outspoken Christian. Look at what the media has done. This person is evil because they're a Christian. That's what's going to happen in this life. If we are open and vocal about our faith in Jesus and that he is the only way, then we are bigots. We go down the list. Are we ready for that? So how do we go through these hard times? I, I love this passage here, these three verses, because it gives us specific instruction on what to do. Are you tempted to walk away? Are you here, and you're maybe new to this, or you're just trying it out, these verses are for you. Here's, here's the first instruction. Hold fast to your confession of faith in Jesus as Lord. That's the first one. Verse 14, right? Since Jesus is all of this awesomeness, uh, my translation, let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast fast. What does that mean? Cling tightly to. (laughs) I mean, very simply, hold fast. It's hold tight, cling tightly, hold fast our confession of faith in Jesus, right? When the world tries to take it away, it's like, (laughs) you you know, you know, I I picture a kid like holding on, just being drugged down the road, like I'm not letting go, right? Even though I'm drugged through the thorns and the the weeds we had this year, we will hold fast our confession of faith. We will not let go. Don't wobble, don't waver. Why? Because it's true, but it's also because of who Jesus is. God in flesh and our high priest, he's been, he gets it. So as we're being drug along, holding tightly to him, he's like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, that kind of hurts, right? Put some salve on that knee. Uh, I get it. But here's what this means. To hold our profession means we live out our beliefs through a lifestyle of commitment. So this isn't a, I sit in my house with the windows closed, the doors locked, and I have my faith all by myself. We've heard that, right? My faith is is personal and private. Guess what? Your faith is very personal. It's not intended to be private, right? Even some of this has come out lately in Scandal where there's a pastor that was disgraced and he's like, oh, my holy life is separate than my public life. Like, no, it's not. (laughs) Your life is your life. And we live for Christ when we are alone in a closet right? The same or public. They're not different. And so here, this holding to our confession means we are living out a biblical worldview. We live out what we say. We believe. We handle our money in a way that God would say is the right way to handle our money. We do relationships the way God says to, right? When we, when we come to church and we say one thing and then we go live something else, right? We're, we're sleeping with who we shouldn't be sleeping with or whatever it is. We're, we're not holding fast our confession, Right? We're saying we're trying something else. So again, holding our profession means we are actually living it out. You know, last week, <clears throat> we, uh, we drew this graphic that I think caused some, some trouble because I didn't spend enough time on it. Um, but this graphic of, of rest kind of in the middle and that to get there, we kinda, there's salvation, justification, and then kind of some spiritual awareness, which means you realize Jesus is the Son of God, but sometimes we don't move past that. Uh, and then there was an inner ring of spiritual activity, again, where we go to church, we go to group, we start giving, we do these things that are good that we should do, 
But that's really not where rest is found. Rest is found in the middle, and it was a heart. That wasn't my idea, but that was cool. But rest is, is the relationship, right, where we know God's word, we believe it, and we obey it, and we trust him with the results. That's like the first three, no big deal. The third, but I trust him with the results. Ooh, that's where it's hard. But that's where rest is found. But here's the thing, though, and, and I got a text actually right after church. Is it possible to move in and out of that middle one? I'm like, darn it, I missed. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right? It, we can even get busy in spiritual activity and then realize, oh, I'm not at rest. I'm now just doing these things without the, this relationship with Christ where I'm totally dependent, abiding in him and trusting him with the results. I'm kind of taking control of the results. So, I mean, that picture is we can go in and out of rest, with the goal, hopefully, that as we grow, we get in and we stay there. Again, uh, hold fast to Jesus because he gets it and he gets you. Hold fast to Jesus because he gets it and he gets you. And so this middle part, again, this rest, that's where we want to stay. And we need to understand here as we're looking at this, because this is related to that, is that Jesus understands Right? He understands what it is to be human. It says here, he was tempted in all things like we are yet without sin. All things. He probably wasn't tempted uh, to speed because they didn't have cars. But the idea is, is, is all things. He was tempted to, to disobey laws. Uh, he was tempted with lust. Right, All those things. Here's the point with that. Temptation is not sin. So are you tempted by certain things and you think you're unique and disgusting and gross? You're not. <laughs> Temptation is not sin. And all these things were tempted, and Jesus gets it, and guess what? The people around you get it too. So if you think you're unique, that's Satan trying to keep you isolated in a box. You're not unique. We all struggle, and we all have temptation, and Jesus did too. But specifically, I think there's something here in context that he's talking about. Jesus was tempted. Right? And we see here him asking God, what was his temptation? I think his temptation that he's talking about here is to step outside of God's will to accomplish what we think is good. That's the temptation. Again, I think this comes back to last week of, of rest, where I'm going to define the results. Uh, they look like this, and now I'm going to work hard to make that happen. And a lot of times those results are good things. Right? I want my kids to know Christ down the list. But there's a way God wants us to accomplish it. And so for Jesus, he was tempted by another way. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus was tempted not to do it the way God planned. Because to do it his way, he had to go to a cross and take on the sin of the world. Listen, Jesus was tempted. Right when he began his ministry, 30 years old, right? He had been a construction worker and, and kind of a normal dude, except for perfect. Um, and then he goes and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. God leads him out into the wilderness for 40 days where he doesn't eat, so he's really hungry, and then Satan comes and begins to tempt him. And here's one of these temptations in Matthew 4, 8 through 10. It says, again, the devil took him. By the way, the devil's a real person. Uh, he is Satan. The devil took him, that is Jesus, to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him shall you serve only. Satan had the power to give those to Jesus. That's something. So in the fall, right, humanity lost the dominion over, over the earth, and Satan received a bunch of that. Jesus earned a bunch of that back. That's a couple weeks ago. So if you're confused, you have to listen to some previous sermons, right? 
but Jesus earned that back. So Jesus here, Satan said, the, the goal of your life is to be king over the world, right? That's the goal. And the end goal, Jesus would die, rise from the dead, be the king from the line of David that would rule forever. And, and Satan is saying, I can give you that right now if you bow down and worship me. Meaning I, you can accomplish what you came to accomplish, but a different way. Of course not though. That's outside God's will. Right? That would require some disobedience to God to accomplish what God was going to accomplish. Right? He says, no, serve God only. Here's the point. Do not step out of God's will to accomplish what you think is right. Do not step out of God's will to accomplish what you think is right. Jesus was tempted by exactly that. And, and you've said it, and I've said it. I know the Bible says, but whatever follows that, you're wrong right? I know I shouldn't do this because God says, but I'm going to do it anyway because the result will be this. Uh-uh. No, right? Right here, Jesus was tempted. He gets it. Jesus gets that, and he gets you, right? I, I want this relationship, but I can't wait till marriage. God, it's really clear right there. Wait. God's way is better. Do not step out of God's will to accomplish what you think is right. He can sympathize. So this leads to number two, right? Number two is confidently draw near to Jesus' throne of grace. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you see this? Do you see this? I mean, at the beginning, when I, the example of a kid running to dad, that mine hopefully will do that later today, um, but that's what he's saying here. Draw near to the throne of grace. What's the throne of grace? That's Jesus. We already saw Jesus as the high priest. Now we see Jesus as king. That's who's on a throne, a king. Jesus has all authority over everything. And he's our loving father. So he says, draw near to me, the throne of grace. What is grace? It is free gifts given. That's what grace is. Grace is what you getting what you don't deserve. And yes, one is heaven for sure. Eternal life. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And we're given it. But it's many other things too. Right? Even the ability to come here and worship, that's, that's God's grace. The, the feelings of peace, he'll give grace. Draw near and he will give you grace. This, the, and, and mercy, what's the other thing we see, see there? Uh, the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Mercy and grace aren't the same thing. Mercy is withholding what is due. Right? So, so mercy is when you deserve punishment and God doesn't give it because he already gave it to Jesus on the cross. That's Mercy. And so if you think, oh, I am so dirty, I am so nasty, I am so messed up, I can't come to the throne of grace, you don't get it. He says, no, I want you just how you are, and I will show you mercy. I'm not going to punish you for it. I already punished Christ. I want to give you grace, all these good things. Why wouldn't we? So why do we, I'm just going to do it my, myself, on my own, right? I, I'm going to get myself cleaned up. I, I'm going to get better. Then I'll come to God. It's never going to work, right? Right here, Jesus the one on the throne has the power and authority to help. Jesus has the power and authority to help. Jesus understands because he's human. Jesus can help because he's God. So why, right? Oh, I'm independent. I don't need help. That is foolishness and immaturity. God does not want us to be independent. And we as Americans and maybe just humans, and we want to be independent, right? I can do it. Kids, right, they hit two-year-old, two years old, they're like, I can do it myself. And we get that way. No, God wants us to be dependent on him, lovingly dependent. Jesus here again, 
We've seen him as the prophet. He is the priest. He is the king. And he fulfills all these Old Testament prophecies. So why do we draw near? Verse 16, to get help. To get help. When we draw near to Jesus in our time of need, he shows us mercy and is gracious to help. So why not? Now here's the thing that stuck out to me as I've been preparing. The context of the book of Hebrews is things are not good for people. What about when things are good? For some of us here, we're like, things are actually pretty good right now. You know, work's going well. My kids are doing well. In those times too, guess what? Draw near to the throne of grace, right? We're intended to be with him all the time, not just when things are bad, but also when things are good so that they don't become bad. But that's really not why. It's because that's where we're supposed to be, abiding and close to Jesus. Listen, whatever it is out there trying to pull you, Jesus is better. Whatever it is trying to fill you, Jesus is more. Jesus is best. You know, as I was, every Sunday morning, uh, I go through my notes. I, you know, I go through the passage and, and I pray. And, you know, God, is there something I'm missing? Something you want to say? And this morning, here's what I felt uh, through the word here, but looking at it, is Jesus saying, I want people to know that they're enough. Now, you're not sinless. You're not, you know, okay and all your, but, but you're enough. Like a kid who goes, ooh, I did this bad thing, so I, I can't go cuddle with dad right now, right? We, we do that too. And some, some of you bad parents have done this, right? Where your kid is in trouble, and so you put it, one of the things is when we spanked our, and we spanked our kids, um, not in anger, but after we spank them, we cuddle with them, right? right? I mean, because it's a loving discipline, not in anger. Our God's the same way. There might be some discipline, but, but it's then to, to draw near, right? He wants us close to him, you know, run to him and, and hold him close because you are enough. And, and this morning, for some reason, as I was praying through this and thinking, the idea, dads, you're enough. Guess what? You've made some big mistakes. You're not the best dad in the world and you feel guilt, but, but you are enough and you can come to him and God will help you with those things. Ladies, moms, you're enough. You've messed up your kids a little bit. We, I, I, I'm just being honest. We're, we're all, but guess what? You are enough. God wants to help you with that. But you aren't, he'll take you just the way you are, right? Young men, you're enough. Hey, you got some things going through your heads that shouldn't be. But, but God's not saying, hey, go get yourself better. And then come. he said, no, you're enough. I want you. Young ladies, you're enough. I, mean, I can go down the list. You're enough just as you are. Jesus died for you just as you are. You're enough. Now, when you come to him, there's going to be some things we're going to work on, right? There's some things he wants to help you, but he's not going to help you at arm's distance. He's going to help you up close. That's what stuck out to me. Again, sometimes we bad parents do this, right? I'm mad at you because you did this thing. Now go fix it. God isn't so much that way. God, God says, come here, now let's fix it. So he keeps us on his lap. You know what I mean? I'm picturing, again, a four-year-old, which I, is, right, that we're close, and he helps us with those things because we are enough. He loves us just as we are. He loves us too much to leave us as we are. Again, that's the sanctification process. But we are enough. So what is keeping you from running to him? What is it? Whatever it is, you're wrong. Whatever it is in your head, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart. Whatever it is, you're wrong. You are enough just as you are. So run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He's going to love you. He died for you. He's going to help you. He's going to show you grace and mercy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, when I look at myself, 
I'm not enough. <laughs> I, I'm not good enough. Um, I don't work hard enough. I, I mean, I can go down these lists. I am so encouraged, Jesus, that you don't need what I can do for you, but you want me. Um, I'm also encouraged that you don't need us. Um, you're not like a needy parent that, that needs the kids doting, but, but it's best for us to come to you. God, I, I pray this morning right now, if there's anybody in here or anybody watching online that, that is wrestling with this idea that there's anything that's preventing them from running to you, right? You with all of your grace and your mercy and your understanding, you've been there, you've done that. That we would set that aside, we would run to you. We would find mercy, we would find grace, we would be okay with that. We would get over our pride, we would bow the knee to you and we would let you love us. God, we do love you. We thank you that it's not about what we do, but about what you have done. In your name, amen. As we close in, in a couple songs, do what God wants you to do. Maybe you need to sit there and, and, and just pray. That's okay. Maybe you need to soak in the words that are being sung. That's okay too. Maybe you need to stand up and try singing like this. Right, the idea that I'm enough, that Jesus died, I don't have to do anything, that's gonna make me sing like this. Or go to one of our prayer walls. Right? And whatever it is that is keeping you, you're like, this is between me and you, God, but it's on your side. Go write that down and give it to him. Put it in the prayer wall, whatever that is. I'm going to be in the back right of the room, that side. Uh, if you want to come talk to me or pray with you, I would love to pray with you. Let's, let's worship.